0: you would speak to our hearts. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Be seated. Thank you so much for being here on this first Sunday of Advent, this quick Sunday that always seems to arrive so quickly for me after Thanksgiving. Um, It's quite a transition that that we try to make in my house. It's probably not like yours, but, but we work hard to do Thanksgiving before we do Christmas and um, so we won't put up a single decoration for christmas until thanksgiving is behind us i know people jump the gun on that Um, i like to have my holidays in order amen all right kathy you agree with that Um, kathy and i've had a conversation about her decorating for christmas in early october right and um and so that's a lot of fun i do want to thank those who decorated our church Uh, we did jump the gun just a little bit it's the only way to get it done And many of you, many in our church, were volunteers that helped bring this together. And didn't they do a wonderful job? When you make your way, amen. Uh, When you make your way through the church today, you're going to see evidence of their hard work and just um, hours and hours of time. And I want to give special recognition to Becky Thurston. This would not happen without her, so let's give her a hand as well. I'm not sure if she's with us in this service, but, but she deserves a lot of praise. And she'll be quick to say it involved an entire team but um, we all know without Becky's leadership we would not be where we are this morning. Today our key word as we enter into this Advent season as we've already learned is the word hope and I enjoy so much getting into the pulpit knowing that that our hope is in Jesus Christ. I get so excited to be able to preach about hope. Hope is an incredible subject. And when I think about hope, one of the areas that my mind always drifts to is I always think of the ending of the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. I hope you've seen the movie. You ought to watch the PG version, by the way. And and if you've seen it, you'll know it's a story that stars Timothy Robbins and Morgan Freeman. These are two men that have been incarcerated. And at the end of the movie, you have this genius monologue where both men have been released from the confinement of prison, and Morgan Freeman's character is enjoying the freedom that, that, that comes from being out of jail, and he offers these hope-filled words. He says, get busy living or get busy dying. For the second time in my life, he says, I'm guilty of committing a crime, parole violation. Of course, I doubt they'll toss up any roadblocks for that, not for an old crook like me. He says, I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. He says, I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it's been in my dreams. And then he closes with two simple words. I hope. I want to ask you this morning a question that will really drive everything that we say, two questions. Do you have hope today? And second, is there anyone in this room or listening by live stream have you lost hope? Did you realize that surveys today have revealed that Americans are less hopeful than ever before we're more afraid now than ever before the surveys tell us people now fear terrorist attacks they fear monster storms they fear pandemics and vaccinations escalating gas prices and it's interesting that the surveys say that because jesus said in the last days men's hearts would be failing them from fear. And I think one reason people are more afraid is because we now know so much more than we ever have about what's happening in the world. Uh, We live in a world of 24-hour news and weather, right? We can turn on our TVs at any time, we can look at our phones at any moment, any time of day and night, and we can hear about hurricanes and COVID and suicide bombers, all types of tragedy. We're surrounded by bad news. But let me say this today, and here's where my hope comes from. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be a 24-7 good news station. Uh, We ought to be proclaiming good news to the world at every second, every moment. And the good news today is this. If you're afraid, if you're in pain, if you're lonely, if you're suffering, there is hope, and that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen today we have hope. No one is hopeless whose hope is in God. And so today the pastor has a lot of options, right? When it comes to talking about hope, and and I want to take you to a story I think that reveals hope perhaps more than any other. It's a look into the life of Job. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the Old Testament book of Job. And today we're going to see a man who went through so much, yes But we're also going to see the picture of a man Who had deep and great hope I want you to look at your screen this morning And I want you to see what hope means, All right, Hope means having only positive expectations Hope means having only positive expectations That's an acrostic, H-O-P-E having only positive expectations. And today, that's what we're going to see in Job. He's, He's a great example of a man who had only positive expectations in the midst of terrible pain and terrible trial. Let's talk about the story of Job. Let's remind ourselves. What do we know about Job? Well, Job was a famous and wealthy man, we might say. He lived almost 4,000 years ago, in a, in a space of just a few days, Job was a man who literally, if you know the story, you know I'm telling the truth here, he lost everything. He lost everything, including his precious children. Today it would be like Bill Gates and Microsoft going completely under in one day. That's what happened to Job. And if that wasn't enough, then Satan inflicted painful skin disease upon Job, and his body was covered with sores from top to bottom. And if you've read the entire book, and many of us have, we know that three of Job's friends, and I use that term lightly today, right? Three of his friends found him sitting in an ash heap, scraping his sores with a piece of pottery. And 90% of the book is Job is devoted to this conversation cycle with these supposed friends and in that conversation we learn how job is feeling about god and we learn about how job is feeling about himself it's like reading somebody's personal journal so today we're going to start in job chapter 13 we're going to go to job 14 we're going to go to job 14 in the latter parts of the chapter and we're going to see three amazing statements that job makes you see job was in a fight for his life Job was in a fight for his own sanity. He's still grieving. He's suffering miserably. And yet he says in Job 13, verses 15 and 16, he utters this amazing statement. Listen to it. He says, though he, talking about God, though he slay me, yet will I, say it with me, hope in him. And then look at verse 16. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless man would dare come before him. That's Job's first statement. Now move to Job's second statement found in Job chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. Amazing. Job is maintaining hope in the midst of this tragedy, and then we find Job 14, 1 and 2. He says, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He springs up like a flower and withers away like a fleeting shadow he does not endure. That's right. Job says the body we live in is temporary, right? It's like a flower that withers away. It wilts away. But Job understands there's more to this life than just the body. And so we spring forward to Job 14, 14 through 17. And I want you to hear this amazing phrase. He says, if a man dies, it's a question, will he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover over my sin. Folks, even in his pain, right, Job confesses his belief in the goodness of God. He believes that he would meet God and that God was the one who could forgive his sin. So as we join Job in this journey, right, I want us to notice three aspects of his life. Let's walk through these one at a time quickly. First of all, let's nail down Job's temptation. What was Job's temptation? What exactly was he being tempted to do? Friend, Satan's temptation was for Job to choose to curse God. And even Job's wife gets in on the chorus, right? She tells her husband to curse God and die. But Job resisted the temptation. Instead, he pours out his heart to God. And we learn two things about Job right there in that moment. Number one, Job questioned God, but he never blamed God. And second, Job complained to God, but he never cursed God. And there's value in there for us. When you're struggling with pain and suffering, and some of us are today, be careful what you say and how you say it and to whom you say it. You see, it's possible that you can sin by the things you say about God and the things you say to God. Job resisted that temptation, and so can we. Job's temptation. Next, let's, let's look, up, look at Job's testimony. Now, Job was in a fight for his life. It's easy for us to confess that and see that and say that today. He wasn't fighting against the Lord. He was fighting against Satan's relentless attack. And let me say this. If you're a servant of God, you're in the same battle. If you're a servant of God, you're in the same battle. Satan wants to make your life miserable. He wants to fight it out with you, right? Now, I'm not sure if all of us feel the same way, but, but I've always been a fan of professional boxing. I remember growing up, my dad would always turn on the boxing match, right? Sugar Ray Leonard and, and all those great fights. I remember sitting there as a boy watching those, but, but one of the epic matches was between, in boxing history, was between Smoking Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. How many of you saw those fights? Right, there we go, a couple are here. Now, in their first fight, for those of you who say, Pastor, I don't know anything about fighting, let me just tell you about this, okay? In their first fight, Frazier knocked Ali out for the victory. And then there was a rematch, and Muhammad Ali won in a 12-round decision. This is all in the early 70s, right? And that set up what some boxing fans say is one of the best, greatest fights in all of boxing history. Ali and Frazier met in what they called the Thrilla in Manila, all right? You probably have heard of that. And Ali, who considered himself a poet, he boasted that it would be a killer, a chilla, a thriller, when I get the gorilla in Manila, right? And that's how Ali described it. And here's how the fight went. For 12 rounds, Frazier pounded Ali into submission. He was clearly ahead in points. The scorecard was in his favor, right? But in the, in the 13th round, everything changed. Ali hit Frazier with nine straight left jabs, and then he follows with this right cross that knocked Frazier's mouthpiece out. And from that point in the fight, Frazier had no power anymore. And eventually in the 15th round, if you saw the fight, you remember it, Frazier's trainer throws in the towel. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I believe that's a lot like what happened to Job. For 12 chapters, Satan pounded and pummeled and pressed Job. And Job had been knocked down numerous times. Pow! Job lost his fortune. Bam! Job lost his family. Bam! Job's wife tells him to give up. Pow! Job's friends accused him of great sin. But then out of nowhere... Job slips in a sudden uppercut through Satan's attack, right? It seems insignificant, but it lands squarely on Satan's chin. And you say, Pastor, what was the punch? Well, the punch clearly was this testimony. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And folks, Satan stopped in his tracks. And the angels in heaven who who sat in the gallery, that great cloud of witnesses who had been watching this epic battle, right? They erupted with cheers because Job said, Hey, even if God kills me, I'm still going to hope in him. I want you to hear that today. I want you to let Job's words echo in your mind and heart because when you're suffering and trying to find hope, That testimony right there can make the difference between defeat and victory for you. Ten one-syllable words that can change your life. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Right. Have you come to that place where you can say the same thing? I mean, whatever happens... And even if it seems to not be what I want. And even if it seems to be terrible. Even if I die, right? I'm not giving up my hope in God. You see, Satan has no defense against that testimony. None. Job's temptation, Job's testimony. Now Job's trust. I love this because Job didn't blame God. He didn't curse God. He, he just asked a powerful question. And, and Job is a book full of questions. And there, and there are some questions right in life that are hard to answer. Have you ever had one of these questions? It reminds me of the funny story about the college professor. He greets his students on the first day of class by asking him this difficult question. He said this, George Washington was the first president. Alexander, Alexander Graham Bell invented the first telephone, and Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon. Based on this info, how old am I, he said. Well, the students looked around at each other and had no answer. so the professor dismisses the class to go think about it. So they come for the second day of class, the very next day, and he repeats the exact same question. George Washington was the first president, Alexander Graham Bell invented the first telephone, and Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon. Based on this info, how old am I, right? And the students just shake their head and look around, but, but there's one guy in the class who raises his hand, right? And he says, I have the answer. And he said, please enlighten us. He said, you're 44 years old. And the professor said, that's exactly correct. Now, explain to the class how you arrived at your answer. He said, well, I've got a brother in the insane asylum who's 22, and you're twice as crazy as he is, right? (laughs) Folks, some questions fall into the category. They're stupid questions. Here's your sign, right? But in Job 14, Job poses a question that every person Must consider It's a question that we all Must think about Here it is If a man dies Will he live again In other words Is there life after death Now that question deserves our consideration And I would think most of us today Have thought about that But we have to come to understand this truth If Jesus tarries all of us are going to die. And I've said this from the pulpit many times, and I know I'm right. If Christ doesn't come again, there's a 100% chance all of us are going to die an earthly death. 100% chance. Now, everybody seems to have an opinion about this. The atheists claim that death is the end of human existence, right? And after death, there's just nothingness. The Buddhists claim a person may be reincarnated as some other type of animal you're either moving up or down in the in the chain but I like Job's answer much better here's what he says and I quote I will wait for my renewal look at verse 14 and 15 of chapter 14 he says all the days of my hard service I will wait for my renewal to come Job is telling us that he believes there is life after death And it's a wise choice, a wise claim because it coincides with the answer that Jesus gave in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me will live even though they die. You see, Job's answer is an answer of trust. And that's why I love this story so much. It's a story of what? Hope, even in the midst of pain. And we could get up here and give a pie-in-the-sky type hope-filled message, But, but true hope is hope that exists even when it's not going well, right? Even when it's hard, even when there's suffering, even when there's trial, and that's why God speaks to me so much in the book of Job about hope. Let me ask you, does he speak to you? I just decided to pull away kind of from the sermon and just write out three things that God is saying to me in the book of Job this week. And it's hard to prepare a sermon, by the way, on Thanksgiving week. You've got a lot of stuff going on, right? But I just just took a moment and said, God, what are some things that you're saying to me? And I believe if you'll listen today, he's going to say the same things to you. Here's the first thing God said. Number one, when I'm suffering, I must resist the temptation to turn away from God. I think God says that to me in this story. Can you remember... When you, found, when you found yourself at the lowest point in your life? I don't know when that was for you, but maybe you lost a job, maybe someone you love passed away, maybe your parents split up, maybe it was connected to a divorce. Uh, there may be some today, I realize this, and asking, you may be in that moment right now, I get that. Do you find yourself at a point in your life where you just want to shake your fist at God, in God's face, and say, God, why are you allowing these terrible things to happen to me? If that's you, that's exactly how Job felt. But like all temptation, right, you can resist. Job resisted. And here's the deal. And I'm not being trite when I say this. I'm being faith-filled. Things will get better. And that's what hope says to us suffering is only temporary when you think of Job's suffering don't ever forget what happened later in his life you have to remember the rest of the story right God restored all that Job had and then he gave him even more you've got to believe in the end things are going to get better for you I love the story of the little boy who went to the pet store to pick out a new puppy And he looks down into this box of of about a dozen furry puppies all clamoring over each other. You can just see that picture. And there was this one little puppy looking up at him, wagging his tail furiously, right? And the little boy says this, I want the one with the happy ending, right? (laughs) Folks, when you choose Jesus, you choose the life with a happy ending, right? Right? Listen to God's promise found in 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. When I'm suffering, I must resist the temptation to turn away from God. Here's the second thing I think God says to me. In my darkest hour, it's important for me to confess my hope in God confess is the key word it's not enough to simply have hope it's important that you confess your hope and that's what job did though he slay me yet i will hope in him and maybe it's valuable today that some of us just memorize that phrase and say it a couple hundred times no matter what comes even even if if i die even if god takes my earthly life i'm still not losing my hope in him And you may ask today, how in the world can I confess my hope and all I feel is pain? Well, one way is to believe that God is using your suffering to make you stronger. The Bible clearly tells us that God is like a refiner, right? During times of fiery trials, all the impurities and all the dross of our lives are melted away. And that idea is what led Mary Kimbrough to capture this in a poem listen to this amazing poem she says though he slay me i will trust him said the sainted job of old though he try me in the furnace i shall then come forth as gold though he slay me can i say it when i feel the searing fire when my fondest dreams lie shattered gone my hope and fond desire though he slay me i will trust him for he knows just how to mold How to melt and shape my spirit I shall then come forth as gold what God says to me is in my darkest hour it's important for me to confess out loud my hope in God and then last today I can't cope with the troubles of this life until I'm ready for the next life what did I say earlier death is inevitable right so we ought to make preparation for it. And this phrase has been true for for centuries. It's still true today. Until you're ready to die, you're not really ready to live. I read about a tombstone in England with these words inscribed on it. It said, Remember, man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon will be. Prepare yourself and follow me. And those are good words, but someone added a note to that tombstone that said this. To follow you, I will not consent until I know which way you went, right? And Job believed he would see his creator when he died. And I want to remind you of this today. I've been thinking about this ever since I came across this phrase. It has just permeated my thoughts. You aren't in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. No, we're in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living. If you have a personal relationship with your creator, you don't have to fear death. The lesson from this story to me is I I can't cope with the troubles of this life until I'm ready for the next life. So Job, he, he shows us what hope looks like. He shows us that it's possible to have hope even in the midst of pain. And he had hope because God was in his present and God certainly was holding his future. I'm going to close with this story. Back, Back in the days when doctors made house calls, there was this small town doctor who called on those who were sick and he always had his trusty dog by his side when he went out for these house calls. And that faithful dog always waited patiently outside the house, waiting for his master to finish. And one day, the doctor was visiting this man named Luke, who was suffering from a terminal illness. And he said this, he said, Doc, I'm scared. What can you tell me about death? What's on the other side? And the doctor said this, Luke, I can't tell you much, but I can show you something that might help you. And upon saying that, the doc got up. He opened the door. He called his dog, and and that dog he bounded inside, leaping gratefully all over his master, right, licking him. And then the doctor said, "This Luke, my dog has."